Hey everyone, this is Chad Harms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thank you for taking some time to listen to our latest sermon, a sermon on the book of Revelation. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to ask you for a favor. I know that many of you listen to our sermons on some type of podcast player, like Apple or Spotify. If that is you, it would be great if you take a minute to leave us a rating or review. I know that it might seem like a small or inconsequential thing, but it really can make a big difference. Why? Because every time you leave a rating or review, it helps our sermons be heard by more people. People who have the potential to be impacted by Jesus through the preaching of our church. This actually happens. I can think of people right now that have helped who've had an eating disorder, struggles with their in-laws, and sadness from a miscarriage. These are real people that have reached out because they've heard one of our sermons online. So while leaving a rating or review might seem like no big deal to you, it can be a big deal to those that helps hear our sermons. So again, if you're listening to this via a podcast player, please take a minute to leave us a rating or review. Thanks for listening to this sermon. I hope that it'll help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. Remember, some of you I know can't because of your age, but do you remember like Y2K and that whole crisis? Uh, uh, for me, as we talk about the book of Revelation, this very apocalyptic book, right? Like the most apocalyptic thing that I've lived through was Y2K. And I think I've said this before in a sermon, maybe as we've studied through Revelation, so forgive me, I'm, I'm pushing middle age, so I can't remember if I told you the stories. And so you'll hear the same stories more often as I get older. But, but I, uh, you know, the buildup to all that was, was such a big deal. And for those of you who were born after that, um, I'll just fill you in. Basically, they, somebody was like, hey, the clock's on computers. They don't know how to roll over to the year 2000. And so when it happens, like everything's going to blow up and we're all going to die. That was kind of what it felt like, right? And, and so the, the buildup comes and man, it's, it was such a buildup. And, and I'll tell you where I was. I'll never forget where I was sitting when the clock flipped over. I was sitting in Brian Zielinski's like finished basement, great room to hang out in. We're watching TV. We probably had been playing some video games and maybe playing pool and uh and we're watching tv as the ball drops me and my friends and it drops and we don't know it's like are we dead you know like what's going on and i remember somebody looking at somebody and going like well the tv's still on that's a good sign and so we were at least in a bunker you know i mean we're down there in the basement we didn't know it was like what's gonna happen it's the most apocalyptic thing that i've that i've ever lived through and I don't know why I thought of it this week, but I did. And, and, and I thought of this song uh, by Prince that says, uh, tonight we're going to party like it's 1999. And, and if you remember something else, I mean, it, like everything's going to crash. But also in the year 1999, we're going to listen to this Prince song that I learned this week was written in like 1982. We're going to listen to this every two seconds because it is 1999. Like being a high school kid in 1999 and having a song with that title, it was on all the time. Every, you know, every time the school got together it felt like we listened to that song and it's really fascinating because I looked up the lyrics to that song I would bet that most of you have no you know the song probably but you have no idea any of the lyrics except for tonight we're gonna party like it's 1999 Uh, and I'm gonna read those lyrics to you at the end because because what's so fascinating is that what we have in our passage is really this beautiful celebration centered on kind of an apocalyptic moment, which is exactly what tonight I'm going to party like it's 1999 is about. But Prince's reason for partying and our reason for partying are vastly different. And so what we're going to look at today is why we, 
why we should be celebrating the idea of, of God putting an end to that which opposes him and oppresses his people and setting things right for his people, us. Uh, and so what, what we're going to do today is talk a lot about this word, hallelujah. Um, I'm going to say it a whole bunch of times. In fact, Daniel was joking that we should put this on organ mode. I'm going to say hallelujah so many times, and we, I should just hit it when I say hallelujah. Oh, I didn't know it was on. Hey, that's kind of fun. We didn't set it on organ mode. Hallelujah. Uh, we could just do that over and over again, uh, as some churches probably are around the uh, nation this morning. Um, but I'm going to say hallelujah a whole bunch of times. So let's just, I want you, I've already, how many times have I said it? Are you counting? Uh, but I want to do it once together. So on three, just say hallelujah with me. One, two, three. Hallelujah. Good. We're going to come back to that, but first a little context. Uh, what follows our passage is a battle scene between Jesus and the beast. Uh, not to give away you know, the end, not to spoil everything for you, but Jesus is going to win that battle and uh, in the book of Revelation and in the world. And, and so that's what we're going to do in two weeks. I lied to you last week and said there wouldn't be a Revelation sermon today, um, but that's going to be next week. It's going to be, I was one week off. We will, I'll take a break. I'm going to preach on a subject that, uh, that I, I, I was um, birthed out of preaching through the book of John last year, and I want to share some things with you. But uh, today, we, we are looking at this, this uh, passage that talks about rejoicing in the Lord, that talks about really this word hallelujah because it's centered around four hallelujahs and then an invitation to a wedding reception. And so we've had all this doom and gloom and here we have one of these interludes in the book of Revelation where we see these heavenly worship scenes. They come up throughout the book at key times in the book of Revelation and it reminds us of really this idea that's so prevalent is that is that we should be people of worship, no matter what we face, no matter what we go through, no matter how bad things get, we should be worshiping Jesus. Now remember, at the end of our last passage, when we were talking about, you know, I've talked about for just week after week after week, the fall of Babylon or the fall of Rome, and then we were told to rejoice. It's kind of this odd passage that we talked about last week where, where the, groups, the, the groups of the world, the people that made money, that loved the beauty of Rome, that loved the power of Rome, they are mourning. And then at the very end, Christians are told to rejoice. And here in chapter 19, if you just turn the page of your Bible, the, here we start to see or we see a picture of what it looks like to rejoice in God setting things right for his people. And here's, here's what we read. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again, they shouted, hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. Now, this may be the, the same multitude that we read about in Revelation 7. It probably represents the entirety of Christianity, Christians, you, me, all the past Christians, all the future Christians. It probably represents a picture of just Christians, all of us who follow Jesus, who love Jesus, who believe in what Jesus did for us on the cross. And notice that the bigness of this is captured in that word, roar, which is more literally just a great voice, but this isn't a smattering of people. This is like a heavenly throng and they are crying out, you could guess, hallelujah. That's what they're 
Hallelujah. Um, I should have hit one higher up. That would have made more sense. They are crying out hallelujah, which simply means, now this is, this is going to be a key theme here, but hallelujah is one of those words that in Christian circles, we, we say it, we sing it, and I would guess, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, that you're, you have no idea what you actually mean as you sing along, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I think on Palm Sunday, we, we sing hallelujah like in every song. We just pick the songs called hallelujah, and we just sing them. And, and so we sing this word, we hear this word, we talk about this word, but we don't know what it means. So it's so simple. It means praise Yahweh. Yahweh being the personal name for the God of the Bible. And so it means praise the God of the Bible. Praise Yahweh. And it's an interesting thing because it's a transliterated word from Hebrew. A transliterated word is like a word in a different language that you just put into a, another language's alphabet. And so we do that like, you know, when we turn things from Spanish to English, it happens a lot when you're studying biblical Greek, we just transliterate and we don't have to look at the old, you know, Koine Greek alphabet, but we just read it in English. It's phonetic, you know, it works, all of those things. And so that's what's happening here. Here's this Hebrew word, hallelujah, that that they did not change into Greek with the word that would mean praise God or praise Yahweh. Instead, they just leave it as is. There's this guy whose name I can't see, an expert on the Hebrew language. And he says that, uh, that they don't do that because there's something intrinsically value about the sound of it for Hebrew speaking people. And so they, they just let it stand alone as this word of praise, praise Yahweh, praise the God of the Bible. Now, interestingly, I think this is why it's so important here. This is why I'm going to say hallelujah so many times. This word is transliterated like this four times in the New Testament. And and do you want to guess where they are? They're all right here in Revelation 19, every single time. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Four times, that's it in the English or in the in the Greek New Testament. That's it. And so we just from hearing that, you should go. Hmm, I think maybe it might be an important point here. Uh, hallelujah, meaning praise Yahweh. It might be a key theme of this passage if nowhere else in the Bible, in the New Testament, do we see this word, but here, four times in succession, it comes up right here in our passage. Now, interestingly, I think this, this, is, this is original to me, so take it for what it's worth, but, uh, but this is the last heavenly worship scene in in the book of revelation where the kind of the curtain is peeled back we see an eternal scene of kind of worship but it's the last one where where the curtain of heaven is peeled back and we get a glimpse into what our worship will look like eternally and also because of that it's the last one in the the entire new testament and i think it's interesting or the bible i think it's interesting that at the heart of this this last scene of worship, we just read praise Yahweh, praise Yahweh, praise Yahweh, praise Yahweh. It's almost as if God is looking down to us and saying, make this a key component of your life that you praise the God of 
the Bible. In some ways, it's, it's almost like this. Like, you've seen how it all shakes out from beginning to end. You're getting a whole picture. I mean, if you've read from Genesis until this scene right here, you know kind of all what it looks like, right? And here in the scene where we're like, God has put an end to those who oppress his people and who oppose him. Like, it's all done at the very end after walking through creation and fall and everything that humans do and the life of Jesus and the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus and all the things that we should live like as we move through the epistles, like all of that, after all of that, there's one key thing that God kind of wants to leave you with and it's praise him, praise Yahweh. Now they say it and then they say salvation and glory and power belong to our God. It's kind of a generic thing, but it's important to remember there is no salvation anywhere else. Glory and power are God's. He is glorious. And if we get to experience glory, which we look forward to, right? We get to experience glory. It's only because God allows for him to be in his presence and to share in his glory. Uh, he is all powerful, a common theme here. And so we see, we see three things that are just coming up over and over and over again in the book of Revelation. We find salvation in the slain lamb. It's only through Jesus' death that we can be forgiven for our sins and have a right relationship with God. We see that glory is in God. He is glorious. He's different than us and that he shows us that glory, but that we get to experience that glory. We get to live in the presence of that glory someday if we accept Jesus as our savior and God has ultimate control and power. He is sovereign. We see these things that just keep coming up in the book of Revelation. And then the statement I think is so important, true and just are his judgments I talked a lot about this several weeks ago, but when we have a heavenly eternal perspective, we will look at the judgments of God and we will declare them right. It's easy to look and go, hey, that doesn't seem fair. It's, God shouldn't have done that to the nation of Rome or to other people. We, you know, we kind of can be God's judge when it comes to his judgments. But here we see again that we, when we see it from his perspective, we'll go, oh, you are right in every judgment that you made. You are right. Romans 12, 17 through 21 says, do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heat burning coals on his head. Do not overcome evil, but overcome evil with good. And I read that to you because I think this is important. I said this last week. I'm going to say it again. They worship God here. They cry out hallelujah in part because God has brought vengeance. And I talked about this last week. It's important. There's a tension in scripture where we trust God to avenge us but we don't seek avenge on our own. And we need to remember both of those things. We will celebrate the vengeance of God against those who oppress him, his people, and, and oppose him. We will celebrate that someday. At the same time, when we are oppressed now, when we are persecuted now, when people around us are martyred now, we feed and help and pray for those who are doing those things. We must remember both of those things sides of that tension. Now, again, they cry out hallelujah, 
And this time it is strictly connected to the finality of Babylon's doom. We've talked a lot about that. But here in this apocalypse, they're saying this is over. Rome is done. Never will they rise up again to do the things that they have done to us, which I must remind you is stand in the way of God's will and try to pull people away from his worship, even by killing them, even by killing them. And then, lost my place, we move on from there. And it says, if I can get back to it, the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne. And they cried, amen, hallelujah. Now again, here we have something that's come up before the 24 elders. They haven't come up in a while, but the 24 elders probably represent the 12 patriarchs of Israel and the 12 apostles that hung out with Jesus. Together, they make up some form of leadership that demonstrates the church and us who are in it. And so we see the multitude representing the greater church and then this 24 elders representing the patriarchs and the apostles. This is a picture of the church worshiping God by crying out, Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. And here they just say two things. It's so fascinating because they, they just show up in the worship scenes in the book of Revelation. That's like, seems to be their primary role. They don't, they don't appear anywhere else. It's just like worship scene. Here's some 24 elders. There's not an explanation given. And they just drop two things in. One is amen, which if you didn't know this, just means let it be. It's a way of agreeing with what somebody has said. We, we use it as like the end, but it, that's not what the word amen you know, usually means. It's not the way of just saying I'm done. It, it means let it be. It's our way of saying I agree with what they're praying. We want that, God. I want that too. That's what amen means. And so the 24 elders drop an amen and they drop a hallelujah, which means, very good. Some of you are paying attention. Revelation 19.5 goes on to say, Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, and you who fear him, both great and small. It's interesting because now we get a straightforward command. And what is the command? Here comes this voice from the throne. might be Jesus. And here's the voice. And what does it say? It says, praise our God, all you his servants. That's you and me who are Christians. You who fear him, me and you who are Christians, both great and small. And it's fascinating because you know what happens here? Is that it's not the word hallelujah. It's not the transliterated version of this thing that we're seeing or hearing in heaven. And I find that to be interesting because it puts it into Greek and it says, praise our God, which is virtually the same thing, right? I mean, to praise Yahweh is to praise our God. That's virtually the same thing. And what I think happens here is that he pulls away from just showing us what the scene looks like. This goes from being descriptive to prescriptive. It goes from being an explanation or a description of what's happening to a command. You who are Christians are to reflect in your life the thing that you see here in heaven. We are to be people that praise our God. We praise our God. Now, obviously we do that, right? When we gather as a church, we sing our songs and that's how we oftentimes use the word praise as we, we show up and we sing. We even have the term praise music. Um, and so we think of praise in their, those terms, but really what praise is, is it's not, just, it's not just singing songs about God, 
but it's speaking well of something or you know, like heaping praise upon someone or something. It's celebrating the work of God. I I think it's so important that we become people who just praise God. It just becomes a part of our lives to speak well of the God that we serve. I've thought about this a a a lot, speaking well of God. And one of the things that bothers me and I hope I'm getting better. I don't know if I'm getting any better, but one of the things that bothers me about my life is that I, I'm so quick to talk about the things that I like, the things I'm excited about, the things that I'm focused on. But, but I often in my life have not found myself just speaking highly of God. And he's the center point of my life. Like he's, you know, he's done everything good that I am and have. It's all from him. And yet I I drift back into uh, things that are so, you know, far down the ladder on their importance. Like I I guarantee you if the Blazers ever win again, uh, if they have a great finish to a game, I will come in here and be like, hey, see that Blazer game last night? I'll immediately speak well of them despite how terrible they are. I'll come in and I'll speak well of them. But I don't just walk in, even to church, and start talking about the great things that God has done in my life. I think for some reason, even in Christian circles, we're almost like taught by example maybe, even in like actually overtly taught, that it's like weird to talk about God in our normal conversation. And I don't wanna be that way. And I think the command of this passage is something very different than that. Like we as we think about, as we look at, as we read about the work that God has done on our behalf, we should be people who cry out hallelujah, or in other words, we should be people who speak highly of God. Diane, who's right over here, she said this, I don't remember what setting we were in not that long ago, and I loved it. Now I'm gonna tell you about it. Um, And uh, she said that one of the things that she has done in her life is to just try to talk the same no matter who she's with. Like if a person's not a Christian, then she'll just talk about God in the same way that she would if she was with me. Like just have the same type of conversation. Not like beating them over the head, like, hey, let's talk about God today. Let's talk about God. But just, you know, if, if God's answered her prayer and they say, hey, what's been up? She'd be like, hey, God answered my prayer this week. And if they think it's weird, they think it's weird and, and they can move on. Now, Diane's uniquely built to just let people think that she's weird if they want to um, and she could take it. Uh, you know, she's an East Coast person. Us West Coast people, we're not as tough. But uh, I want to be more like Diane in that regard uh, and other ways, but I want to be more like Diane and I just want my conversations to be seasoned with salt and full of grace and I want to just praise God in everyday conversation. I actually think it's one of the things that we can do as Christians that's not super weird to the outside world. You know, like, like, like it's a little weird, but it's not offensive, I guess. We can say like, uh, somebody could say, hey, what's been going on in your life? And I could say like, you know, God's been teaching me that I need to work on this thing. And for the most part, people are like, that's a little weird, but I'm not bothered by it, right? Like, they're not gonna be mad at you. They're not gonna be your friends or stop being your friends anymore. Uh, most people, it's gonna be okay. But we, look, the command here, it's like, hallelujah, 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 then command, then we'll have another hallelujah. But the command is that we join in the heavenly course and we speak highly of God. Like that's 
the command here, and we do it in recognition of those same things, that he is all-powerful, that he is glorious, that he has invited us to share in that glory, and that salvation belongs to no other name except the name of Jesus. And so we speak highly of the God that we serve. That's the command for us. Let me read that to you again. Then a voice came from the throne saying, praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both great and small. If there's one thing that I would like you to take away from this today, it would just be that. Like, how can I become a person that speaks more highly of God or speaks more often about how great God is? Like, how can I do that? Because I have this question written down. What would it look like for you to make praise a normal part of your life? Because that's the command that Jesus has given us here. And then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Now, talks about this rushing water and this thunderstrike. I don't know if you remember this, but I played a sound when we talked about this before because it again demonstrates kind of the bigness of this moment. And, and that's what, when, we, when we read, I think, the Bible, for whatever reason, I'm guilty of this too. Sometimes we can lose the magnitude of it when we just start dissecting it, which I do every Sunday, right? Like it's a little bit of a dissecting process, but we can lose the, the kind of bigness. And here it's meant to describe again, like, Whoa, there's a lot of people in unison declaring hallelujah. They're crying out hallelujah, praise Yahweh. Then as an extension of that, they call themselves, I find this interesting, they call themselves to rejoice and be glad and give him glory. That's interesting, right? I think we need to be calling ourselves in some ways. Like it shouldn't just be like, I listen to a sermon, I should rejoice and be glad and give him glory more. But we should be like, you know, calling ourselves like, hey, Chad, today rejoice and be glad and give God glory. Like celebrate who God is and what God has done on your behalf. Be excited about it. And if maybe if we called ourselves to rejoice and be glad and to give God glory, maybe that would spill over over into our conversations and we would begin to speak highly of God more frequently in our everyday lives. Like, so for you, I mean, I think this would be a great thing to do this week. Like, wake up. Maybe you could just go one week doing this. I don't have any high hopes for the rest of your life or anything. But like, for one week, if you just woke up and one of the first things you told yourself, you know, because you go, I got a lot going on today and there's these stresses that I'm dealing with and I have to handle this and I got to have this conversation and all that. But what if you just paused for one second and said, hey, rejoice and be glad and give God glory. Like, celebrate God, who he is, what he's done. You can even take some time to think about those things, who God is and what he's done. Like, I think maybe that would start to spill over into our conversations and we would begin to praise Yahweh, to praise our God. And so here, they, they, this is interesting because their celebration, I mean, there's context here, right? And and it's like they call themselves to rejoice and be glad, to celebrate like it's 1999. I'm going to come back to that. They call themselves to that. And then the reason is stated here 
the Lord God Almighty reigns. It's one of the reasons the Lord God Almighty reigns. I think we, this has come up a lot in the book of Revelation, and I think it's underrated in our society, our Christian culture today, that our God is all-powerful. And we don't think about that enough because I don't know why. I don't know why we don't think about that enough. We think about certain aspects of God a lot. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm speaking on behalf of all Christians everywhere. But I think that it is an underrated part of being a Christian, that we can look and we can say, no matter how bad things get, no matter how much turmoil there is, no matter how much it seems like I'm standing on shaky ground, my God is absolutely in control. You know that the verse for me, if you've been around a long time, you know that Psalm 94, 18 and 19, is the verses that I say with my children every day. I was taught them at a hard time in my life when it felt like everything was upside down and there was turmoil and and it was like, there's no, there, nothing is solid. Like everything is crumbling. And then I learned Psalm 94, 18 and 19, when I feel my foot slipping, your faithfulness, O Lord, supports me. And when I'm filled with cares, your reassurance soothes my soul forever. Great verses, great thing to remember. If you ever have a crisis, I'm gonna share that verse with you. That's gonna be like the, I'm, those two verses. I'm gonna tell you, hey, go read them. Look them up on your own. That's what I do sometimes. Read these verses. But they're all dependent on God actually being in control, right? It doesn't work otherwise. Like if God is not all powerful, if he's not in control, if our God doesn't reign, then the turmoil of the earth might just take over and everything might come crumbling down. But as a Christian, I look at scripture and I'm reminded, especially in the book of Revelation, that God reigns, he rules and he reigns. And so no matter what I face, I can trust that he is in control and he's in control of my life. And then the other part of that rejoicing is that the wedding of the lamb has come. Now this is in some ways future for us. I saw a guy trying to claim that, that this wasn't, a, a, this is somebody who sees this as a, a preterist, somebody who sees the book of Revelation as a, as a past you know, thing that first century, most of these events first century. And he tried to explain how the wedding lamb coming, the, the, like this is still a past thing. And I thought it was very poor. I actually thought it was very poor because the language of scripture, I mean, when, when we talk about the wedding of the lamb, this is what we look forward to as Christians. That's how this language is used. Like this is the return of Jesus when we'll have, and I love this, and we don't think about this. We think about the return of Jesus, and I've talked about how revelation can scare people in the end times. It scares people. But when Jesus describes it, he talks about it like a wedding reception, which yeah, I'm not so big on. But I get that he's trying to say it's a good thing, right? Like a short wedding reception. That's how I like him. But like this is a good thing. Matthew 22, Matthew 25, Luke 12, Jesus uses this language. What's fascinating in that language, and I, I just, this just, I, I stole this this week, is he talks about this marriage to his bride, this, this wedding that we're gonna have when he returns again, and there's this banquet, and it's like, I like the food part. Like all this free food, like that I can get behind. Like all of this stuff. And there's these interesting themes that come about in the midst of them. Matthew 22, the call is to obedience because you know that there's going to be this party someday when Jesus returns, be obedient. Matthew 25, be watchful. We should be waiting. We should be expecting. We should be longing for the return of Jesus. Luke 12, service. Because we know that Jesus is gonna come and we're gonna have this great wedding banquet, we should be serving him. That should be the aim and the goal of our lives. 
And in our passage, the connection is to rejoicing, being glad and glorifying God because we know that Jesus is going to come. And when he does, for those of us who follow him, who love him, who believe that he is the savior of the world, we are going to celebrate. We are going to party. It's going to be incredible. Because of that, we should rejoice and be glad now and glorify the God whose return we're looking forward to. That's what it's saying here. We should be obedient, expectant, faithful, and we should be excited because Jesus is coming back. And he's, it's happening. He made his bride ready. His bride has, been, has made herself ready. Now, that doesn't mean we've made ourselves ready. Jesus has made, himself ready, or made us ready. Because why? Listen to the next thing. Fine linen was given to her to wear the righteous acts of God's people. Now, this is, this is like, I don't like to do this in sermons, but this is going to be like point number two. So I want to just go parenthetical here. Like this is, this is me just giving you a quick parenthesis, main point of the sermon. If you're like me, you can only handle one point in a sermon. And so uh, like, and then I lose the pastor and I don't have a clue what he's saying for the next 30 minutes. But uh, point one, praise God. But there's this sub point here that I think is really important. Notice the contrast between Rome and the bride of Christ. Remember that Rome's description was one of glitz and glamour and a scarlet dress and beautiful and all of that. And, and why? Because it had wealth and it had power and it had all the things that intoxicate us, the entertainment and all of that had all that. Yet we know it was ugly underneath the surface and that God judged it really harshly. But here, here, the fine linen that's given to the bride is what? The righteous acts of God's holy people. And here's why I wanted to bring it up because I think far too long in the American church, we have tried to be beautiful by adorning the outside. Nicer buildings, better light shows, better projectors that you can actually see. <laughs> you know, all like we've just tried to be cooler and hipper and I don't know, a better show, all of these things. And here in Revelation 19, describes all the glitz and glamour and says, that's what Rome's like. But let me tell you what makes the bride of Christ ready. It's the beautiful acts, the fruits of the spirit, the way in which his people are serving. The church should not be known for its beautiful buildings or perfect music or great light shows. It should be known for its righteous acts. Into the parentheses, let me get back. Uh, Revelation 19, 9 says, Then the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. We who are Christians are blessed because we will experience this heavenly feast, this heavenly wedding reception. It'll be a great party, but not a tiring one, you introverts, a great party, and you'll even like being there. Uh, and then, and this is so interesting, and I think constructive, Revelation 19.10, at this I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. John is so overcome by seeing the work that God has done on behalf of his bride, Christians who are being oppressed and hurt, that he, it's, it's like a terrible moment. Like it's bad. He's like worshiping a creature rather than the creator, but he just falls down on his face in worship. 
And I think it's instructive, not because we should be like John in this moment and worship the created rather than the creator, but I think it's instructive because it shows that when John experienced this incredible vision that shows that all that God is gonna do on behalf of his people, when he gets a picture of the final salvation and the worship that will take place in heaven, he just falls on his knees in front of the first person he sees. He's like, all right, it's time to praise Yahweh, and so I'll hit my knees and and worship right now. He's just so caught up in the moment. And when you think about all that Jesus has done for us, but even more, all that Jesus will do for us when we experience the final perfection of glory, then your response should be to fall down on your knees and praise Yahweh. Hallelujah. By the way, weird ending, just instructive for you. At the end of that, you're like, what does that prophecy thing mean? There's two choices. Jesus set for us an example or all prophecy points to Jesus, but that's neither here nor there. Now I want to come back to tonight we're going to party like it's 1999. Does anybody, just out of curiosity, you can raise your hand for this one. Does anybody know any of the other lyrics? Oh, Annette. Okay. Oh, Brian in the bag. We got, oh, wow. Prince fans or something. Um, so here's, here's, here they are. Like, I, I think I just Googled this because I was thinking about heavenly party, apocalyptic, Y2K. I don't know how my brain works, but this is where we ended up. And this is where we're going to end up today. He says, I was dreaming when I wrote this. Forgive me if it goes astray. But when I woke up this morning, could have sworn it was judgment day. The sky was all purple. There were people running everywhere, trying to run from the destruction. You know, I didn't even care because they say, two th- I didn't even know this line, 2000 party over, oops, out of time. Did you know that's the buildup? Okay, some of you knew that. So tonight I'm gonna party like it's 1999. I was dreaming when I wrote this, so sue me if I go too fast, but life is just a party and parties weren't meant to last. War is all around us. My mind says prepare to fight. So if I'm gonna die, I'm gonna listen to my body tonight. Yeah, they say 2000 party over, oops, out of time. It's an awkward sentence to read. So tonight I'm gonna party like it's 1999. Yeah, shh, let me tell you something. If you didn't come to party, don't bother knocking on my door. Oh, I got a lion in my pocket and baby, he's ready to roar. Yeah, yeah, everybody's got a bomb. We could all die any day. Oh, but before I'll let it happen, I'll dance my life away. Oh. Did you know those were any, did you know, like some of you are like, oh yeah, I knew it. I knew it the whole time. Well, Prince kind of gets it right, but totally backwards, right? Because what he's saying is, hey, there's this perhaps apocalyptic ending, right? There's this apocalyptic ending. And so because it's going to be so bad, I might as well party it up right now because it's going to be terrible in the end. But for Christians, there's half of that that's true and half that's not. We look and we say there, there's going to be an end. And I talked about last week that that could be the big end or that could be like the end of our nation and that could be, you know, that's bad. But we don't party just because it's gonna happen and like that's it. We party because we know for us when that end comes that our God is still all powerful and salvation belongs to him and we will worship in eternity. And so right now in the here and now, we look ourselves in the eyes, in the mirror and we say, hey, rejoice and be glad and glorify our God because he reigns and he has invited us to this final celebration. So no matter what happens, it's going to be great for you and I. And then out of that, as an extension of that, we say hallelujah, or more specifically, we praise our God. When we think about the end, 
The response is not to dance our lives away, but rather to praise Yahweh because we know, we know that we are going to celebrate in eternity and so we can be glad and rejoice now as we glorify our God and praise him. Let me pray that we'll do that. Lord Jesus, there's a lot of scary stuff in our world. I mean, Prince isn't wrong. The bombs are flying. You know, they don't hit America, but... We know that there is, there's war all around our, our world, God. Um, the one we talk about the most is the war in uh, Ukraine, God, but that is not the only one. And we know, Lord, that uh, we face uh, just problems like what's going on in banking. We know that uh, we're go- about to move into another election cycle and all that that brings up in our country, Lord, we just and dealt with the pandemic, Lord, and all the fallout of that. There's, there's so much turmoil, God, all around us. And it's really all the time. We think about it more or less depending on circumstances, but it's all around us all the time. And God, that can bring up fear, um, constant anxiety, Lord. But I pray for those of us who are Christians, that when we think about all of the turmoil of the world, we would not even bat an eye, but we would continue to be glad and rejoice in you and glorify you, God, because we know that you are sovereign, that you rule and you reign, and that you are working all things unto our good, and that as we'll talk about in two weeks, you will win the war and you will set things right for us. God, I pray, I know that every person in front of me, those who are watching online right now, I know that everybody is dealing with their own stresses, whether it be financial or physical or relational or anything else, Lord. We are all dealing with our own things. But for those of us that love you, that follow you, that are your servants, I pray, God, that we would find it in our hearts, that we would call ourselves to rejoice and be glad because we know, we know that you are going to win and you're gonna make things right for us. And out of that, God, let us be a people that praise you. If I could have one thing happen because of this sermon, God, for your servants, it's, it's that we, God, who are here thinking about Revelation 19 today, we would walk out of this place and we, God, more consistently would praise you. We would talk about how grateful we are for your salvation. We would talk about the comfort you bring. We would talk about the hope that you bring. We would talk about how you, you've helped us to experience love or be more loving because we've experienced that love, Lord. I pray that we would be people that praise our God because of what you've done for us, Lord. And God, I pray for those who aren't Christians, as I do every week. And Lord, there's some of that. There's some of Prince that, that, that persists, God, outside of Christianity. Like, for, for young, I think a young people specifically, Lord, and, and I know that this generation, the 20-ish year olds, uh, that sociologists point to a few things about them that are really kind of apocalyptic feeling, God. And one of those things is that, that they've been so impacted by school shootings. And because of that, Lord, they, they, they call them the YOLO uh, generation, like God, they just have said, screw it in some ways. Like if I'm gonna die anyway, I might as well just live it up while I'm here. And I pray, Lord, for, for people who aren't Christians that they would know that there's a better way, that they can, they can live a life of true joy and, and true hope and, and true peace because not because this will ever get better. They're, they're right in that regard, God, but because ultimately things will get better because you love us and you are gracious 
and you came to die for us and our sins, Lord. And so I pray that people would embrace you as their savior, God, not because of the power of my words for sure, Lord, but because of the power of your spirit speaking into their lives. I pray all of these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.